0: Hello and welcome to Order Order, Mail Plus Radio's politics podcast with me, Simon Walters, assistant editor of the Daily Mail.
1: And me, Amanda Platel, Daily Mail columnist.
0: Coming up, a senior Conservative MP accuses NHS pen pushers of barbarism for refusing to help families forced to pay £500 a week for cannabis oil to stop their children suffering
2: dozens of epileptic fits a day. Now it's a Department of Health issue and the Department of Health and NICE will not allow this to be given free or prescription. And that's morally and ethically wrong, which is why the campaign still goes on. Westminster Journalists are in a lather over
1: claims that they're being bullied by Boris Johnson's spin doctor, Dominic Cummings.
3: It is uh, a rather ham-fisted attempt to control the press. From the point of view of Downing Street, I don't think they did a very good job.
0: And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google and Spotify. Or leave us a review. Tell Alexa to play Daily Mail News and you'll hear the latest episode of Order, Order. And email us at any time at order order at mailplus.co.uk. Dominic Cummings, the beanie hatted guru of Number 10, is determined to put Westminster journalists in their place. There was uproar this week when a handful of political scribes were banned from Downing Street. The other parliamentary lobby journalists walked out in protest. Will it end in mastery of the Westminster media by dastardly Dom? Or will he be the latest overmighty number 10 media high flyer to crash and burn? Veteran Tory spin doctor Nick Wood, chairman of Media Intelligence Partners says it will all end in tears.
3: Well, I think there are a number of elements in this. I think part it is um, a rather ham-fisted attempt to control the press. I don't think this, um, from the point of view of Downing Street, I don't think they did a very good job. I mean, after all, you don't want the whole thing blowing up in your face, which is basically what happened. I mean, there is an element of an echo, if you like, of the Alistair Campbell years of New Labour. Yes, yes. And that was all... I mean, Campbell and Mandelson, his controller, if you like devised this whole idea of message discipline Uh, the the ministers and the prime minister and MPs and everyone was meant to sort of chant the same message every day and we had the spectacle of Labour MPs sitting in the House of Commons with pages that told them what to think and what to say Uh, I mean naturally anyone in the press secretary's role in Downing Street wants good publicity and they think the way to get it is to exercise control.
0: But is it, isn't it slightly depressing that, that that what you have is the moment a government gets in with a big majority, this one has, and the last one to do so was the Blair government in ninety seven. The first thing they do is try to crack down on the media.
3: Don't you, don't you think that it's an, it's an abuse of power? Power has to be exercised carefully and with some sensitivity. And I think there is always a danger that a government with a huge majority is going to start trampling over Not just the press, but a lot of other people. And there is always a a balance to be struck.
0: Do you think there's a parallel between Dominic Cummings and Alistair Campbell, who performed the same role for Tony
3: Blair? Both of them... I mean, megalomaniac might be too strong a word, but they're both men who have... A very sort of messianic idea Mm. about what they want to convey how they want to keep control they're not the sort of people who are going to wake up in the morning and think oh well some of the headlines aren't that great but who cares let's just get on with it they're not that sort of they're driven characters who want to dominate and i want their government and their prime minister to dominate and that is potentially dangerous you need a bit of give and take in this part of what i think went wrong the other day which was laughable, really. I mean, dividing a group of journalists... You know, you lot on one side, you less like the playground. And you lot are going to play for the team, and this lot, you're you're all sacked. You're all fired. I mean, it's it's crazy. Laughable.
0: Don't you think this is the Trump playbook? I mean, we've seen this in America. Trump bans certain sections of the media. Trump uses mm. Twitter as a direct appeal yeah. to his core vote. I,
3: isn't that what we're seeing? Well, does it danger we go down this road. I mean, I think we're a long way from it. I think, though, the more serious, if you like, the more serious point, you might say the more sinister point, is that Trump has come to the conclusion that the mainstream media by which I mean conventional national newspapers um, and the BBC and Sky and stuff like that doesn't really matter that much anymore. And what you've got to do to, to get power and hold on to it is communicate direct. And the way you do that is largely through your own if you like, favoured media channels, in Trump's case, Fox News, but social media. That is the development in America. It's not happened here yet. I suppose you could fairly argue that what happened in Downing Street the other day could have been is, the first step the start. down the Trump road. Amanda,
0: is this a storm in a beanie cap? Or will it really end with
1: the downfall of Dominic Cummings, a man of mystery... of? T- Downey Street? Uh, it's not a storm in a teacup. It's an incredibly important issue, because if we don't have a free press, and that means you invite everyone from the Labour-leading mirror through to the the Tory-supporting telegraph, you invite all of them in, all the time, plus the regional journalists. You know, it's a tradition that's worked, that's been part of democracy for centuries. And I think you mess with it at your peril, but it's very consistent with Dominic Cummings' kind of a psyche. He's, he's a total control freak. He seems to like upsetting people. And it's just, I just think it's a kind of crazy thing to pick a fight with the press, who actually with the media, who actually are there to help you a lot and who have got quite a lot of punch power back. Mm.
0: It it seems odd to me that you've got a prime minister who is a journalist, was a journalist, uh, leading this kind of attack. And we have been here before, haven't we? Because it's a government with a strong majority. We had a government with a strong majority in 1997. And what did New Labour do? Blair, Alistair Campbell... Peter Mandelson cracked down the press. Same, and you and like Nick Wood, you worked with
1: Nick as a Tory party spin doctor, so you, you Well, yeah, you, I was what I was alike. I was Alistair Campbell's op ed, um, you know, rather grandly. And he was brutal in the way he controlled the journalists. So much so that that it was believed at the time that journalists' careers died because he wouldn't give them any stories. There was a tiny cabal of people that he would speak to. He'd give them the scoops. He'd give them the exclusives. And the ones who didn't get it, their editors were saying, you know, basically you're rubbish at this or you're not able to do your
0: job. But, 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 but to, put, to put the other side of the story, that's the job of spin doctors. It is to try and control the message. And in, and in the modern mass media age, don't you have have to have
1: that discipline to be an effective government no I think it's a I think it's a very dangerous route to go down and the thing that I think is all, all the blames been put on on Dom as we're supposed to call him mm. is this Sven Gali character I've known Boris Johnson professionally I hasten to add for a very long time and what I've witnessed during that time is he is Incredibly thin skinned, and he's incredibly unforgiving. I mean, I was once banned from a, a lunch by Boris Johnson that he was holding Boris, before. Boris is warming up me fast. <laughs> I was banned by Boris, and he used some very um, the kind of words that you don't usually use about women about me um, to his um, to his team who passed it on to me. So he banned me from a lunch he personally had invited me to because I'd written something about his zipper. I mean, Ooh. who hadn't? Yes, well Boris and his zipper could make an entire documentary (laughs) but what I
0: take from this is that when New Labour tried this, it did work for a while but it all ended badly, badly arguably you could say that that obsession with controlling the message was what led them to oversell the Iraq war with the dodgy-dodges. Now we're nowhere near that. I, I wonder whether if, if this is- goes unanswered, whether that kind of peril may lie down in waiting for, the- for this Conservative
1: government. And the thing you also have to remember is that um, when you're the head of media for a Prime Minister, as Dominic Cummings is, you're the first one to get the bullet between the eyes when it goes wrong. And if, if Dom keeps... Conducting Boris's media affairs like this, that's exactly what's going to happen. The UK
0: climate change summit hits trouble as David Cameron and William Hague snub Boris Johnson's plea to chair it. And the ex-minister who was due to take charge says Boris's plans to tackle climate change are all hot air. That's after he fired her. The former head of the UN's climate change conference, Claire Perry O'Neill, says Boris Johnson had admitted to her he doesn't really care. Get the issue. Let's hear a clip of us speaking on the BBC Radio Four Today programme.
1: The Prime Minister has made incredibly warm statements about this over the years. He's also admitted to me that he doesn't really understand it. And you know, it's, he, it's good. That really, other, he uh, said that to you, well, didn't he? You know, he, yes. I mean, he's had all sorts of things over the years. Uh, uh, but uh, you know, this is as I think I said in my letter. You know, this. He said moment, he doesn't understand climate change. Well, he doesn't. He doesn't really get it. I think is what he, he said. But others around him do. And I think the the important thing is look this is not about me certainly not about me it's not about the prime minister our efforts right now i think are as i put them you know somewhere around the middle of league one we're kind of we're playing at kind of oxford united levels where we need to be liverpool if we are going to actually do what the world needs us to do which is to break out of this incrementalism and start us start us moving forward on where we need to be which is in a really rapid decarbonisation way
0: Claire Perry O'Neill, I mean, I remember Claire Perry as she was, uh, as a Conservative minister. She's She is a formidable woman and not one to be messed with. Mind you, she's not the first person to accuse Boris Johnson of not having a full grasp of detail. Uh, but I thought what was one of the interesting things about this is that she was dismissed by Dominic Cummings over the phone, she said, and that the PM asked David Cameron and William
1: Hague to take over chairing it, but they both turned it down. What do you make of that? Well, I'm not really surprised that William Hague turned it down because, to be fair to him, after he lost the 2001 election, Cameron begged him to come back in to be foreign secretary because he needed the gravitas. William did that willingly, but then he felt his time was up. With Cameron I feel a bit short-changed by him. I really feel as though he kind of still owes us something. And it's something he cares about, the environment passionately. It's sort of in the back of your head you're thinking, yeah, you're probably going to make a lot more money on the lecture circuit in America. Wasn't Cameron the man
0: who, um, who went uh, riding with the Huskies and made a big fuss and about he, climate change he, when he first came
1: in? And, and, and the had, whole green thing. He even changed the Tory colour from blue to green, didn't he? He did. He made, it, he made it a tree. And remember, he put those wind turbines on his house. That's right, yeah. He was so green. It was so important. Important to him, um, and yet when he gets a chance to do something that could really make a difference, he's not there.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think that's disappointing. He's flaky. Let's hear Boris Johnson previewing the COP22 climate change conference in Glasgow to be held later this year in his own inimitable style. We had a catastrophic,
2: catastrophic period in which the global addiction to hydrocarbons got totally out of control. We poured so much CO2 into the atmosphere collectively that our entire planet is swaddled in a great tea cosy Of the stuff, CO two levels today are at a level not seen uh, since three million years ago, when there were trees on Antarctica. Well,
0: Amanda, Boris Johnson may not have command of detail, but he's certainly (laughs) got command of the English language,
1: swaddled in a
0: tea cosy of carbon dioxide. It's beautiful, isn't it?
1: Well, it's rather evocative as well. And this, uh, even though this is a terribly emotional issue, the whole climate change and the climate crisis. The language is very dry. You know, it's all about levels of this and levels of that. And and just to have his, you know, to have him bring some colour to it. Um, And I'm sure that his girlfriend Carrie is giving him a bit of a boot up the butt over this whole issue as well, because something that means a lot to her. And she's so much younger than him. You know, the children of of this world care more about it and know more about it. Mm, But I love his language.
0: he He may not be around when the world fries, but she might be. She probably will be. But I thought the other announcement... that. he kind of trailed was that the government intends to ban the sale of new petrol and diesel cars from 2035 Uh, that sounds pretty significant
1: it's been brought forward five years i believe is it five or ten years And, of course, it's got all the car manufacturers up in arms. Not that they're against the idea of of forcing people into electric alternatives or other alternatives which are developed by them. They're just saying it doesn't give us enough time. So immediately, even though it's a lovely soundbite, immediately there's scepticism about whether it's even in any way deliverable, even in Britain, let alone in the rest of the world.
0: But it has been coming for some time. Amanda, let let me subject you to a little quiz here. (laughs) No quizzes! You're just
1: trying to humiliate me. Well
0: i don't have to try (laughs) who wrote this in 1999 in a few short years these fossil fuel powered internal combustion engines will be museum pieces and we will trace our hands down their motionless flanks with the reverence of those who
1: love steam engines who said that winston churchill boris johnson no he did he just can't help stroking something can he Labour MP Tracy Brabin has faced criticism
0: after bearing one shoulder in the Commons. With one tweet asking, Is this really appropriate attire for Parliament? Amanda,
1: what's your idea of appropriate attire for Parliament? Well, I can tell you it is not an off-the-shoulder cocktail frock worn by a woman of a certain age like myself who really was in need of a decent brazier underneath it. Mm but there's a serious point simon it's just inappropriate i know she's new to parliament and all the rest of it but there is a point at which the way one dresses it's not only showing respect for the institutions of which you're a part and this is the heart of our democracy it's also showing respect for other people around you and i've always believed i like my dad told me when i started off as a cub reporter he said always go to work dressed as though you're going to meet the queen because he said and because one day you'll get a break because people will take notice of you and then one saturday morning in western australia on the perth daily news um there was only one person in the office who could go to a big political breaking story and it was me Mm.
0: but i mean i think what this shows again is that it's women who've who've faced this appalling abuse online i mean tracy brabin herself Tweeted this this message in answer to critics, quoting them, saying, a drunk, tart, slapper, I can confirm that I'm not a slag, a hungover, a tart, just been banged over a wheelie bin. Who <laughs> oh, knew geez. people could get so emotional over a shoulder? Uh, isn't there something in that? This we, We've seen
1: this relentless abuse of women and that's what makes this stand out it's a two-way thing for women first of all they have an advantage over men in politics because they can look different they can look i mean theresa may went from this dowdy little mouse into a really quite a stylish world leader men don't have that they've just got the suit so there's it's unfair in that sense it's also unfair that women get criticized and called things like slappers because they show a shoulder but i mean come on i hate to use the expression but you know she was asking for it wearing a dress like that. And it does not appear to be true that this just slipped off her shoulder because it comes from an ASOS catalogue in which it is an off-the-shoulder dress. It's not appropriate for Parliament. I'm trying to think what the male equivalent would be. Would it
0: be maybe Boris Johnson at Primus's questions in a string vest and a pair of shorts? (laughs) What a horrible (laughs) thought! Let's hear what Tracy had to say on BBC Breakfast TV.
2: I was startled
0: by um, the vitriolic uh, nature of them, um, but it's part of the territory as a politician, and I am in a privileged position that I can brush this off. But I feel that it's my responsibility um, to call it out for those women that don't have that um, that amplification, um, because there are women around the world that are putting up with this um, day in day out, where they're being demeaned because of what they wear. I mean, it's another case of everyday sexism yeah well i mean she may have made a bit of a fashion faux pas but i'd say three cheers for tracy and shut up all those nasty trolls
1: well i'd never troll her but you're not allowed to tell me to shut up she looked ridiculous absolutely ridiculous in 2018
0: two children with epilepsy alfie dingley and billy caldwell forced a change in the drugs laws they were allowed to be treated with cannabis oil to relieve their life-threatening seizures And the NHS agreed to pick up the bill of £2,000 a month. Since then, around 20 more children facing a similar heartbreaking plight have been identified. But, and it's a big but, their families have to pay the £2,000 bill. And some of them are facing bankruptcy. Conservative MP Sir Mike Penning is backing a new campaign to force who he calls
2: bloody-minded health chiefs pick up the tab for some children that have epileptic fits and massive seizures all the medication they've been given over the years just frankly isn't working and they've been given some drugs that are completely off patent off script to try and help them and it hasn't worked but we know certain types of seizures are helped by prescribed medical cannabis produced by pharmaceutical companies and people like Alfie Dingley who was very very ill and his mother said many times that he probably wouldn't be here today is an ordinary naughty boy and there are about 19 others out there that need the medication that he's been given by his specialists but have to pay for it where Alfie doesn't and that's what I think is so wrong
0: Now, now you know these families just give me some idea to the kind of the, the, the pain and suffering that the children go through for the lack of this drug?
2: So someone like Alfie's family I know very, very well, he would have up 20-plus 20, 20 seizures a day, blue-light is outside his house all the time, being given uh, adult steroids at times to try and control the seizures, and it wasn't working. And their parents were so desperate, they went to see specialists all around the country just to try and help save their little boy's life and his suffering. And that's all I want to do for the other families as well.
0: The decision was taken a couple of years ago that, that two of these epileptic children, Alfie Dingley and Billy Caldwell, they have got this drug and they have got it prescribed NHS. Why is it that and these it's free. Are, it's free at the point of delivery. And and it's free. Why is it that these other children are having to pay for it? How come if two kids have got it for free?
2: Why aren't the other twenty or so children well, getting it for free? Well, some would just say that's bureaucracy, but others say I think it's the bloody mindedness inside the Department of Health. The reason those two got it is because we changed the law and deregulated cannabis in, in med- for medical use. Not a spliff behind the sheds, but actually prescribed, pharmaceutical prescribed by a specialist consultant. And we set up a special panel, the Prime Minister Theresa May did that inside the Home Office while we deregulated. They went through the panel and got it free at the point of delivery and the others have come since we deregulated it believe it or not now it's a department of health issue and the department of health and nice will not allow this to be given free on prescription and that's morally and ethically wrong which is why the campaign still goes on
0: so these children they do get the drug but what they pay for it how much does it cost them and how well, do they raise well, the money
2: of, some of them are getting it and they're begging for help they put they put stuff out on Facebook, some of them are remortgaging their homes, some are going to lose their homes soon but can I, how, how much does it cost? It, it ran about £2,000 a month for about 20 kids that we know about at the moment. And that is frankly loose change inside the Department of Health. They probably spend that on paper clips during the course of a year. But this saves their kid, these kids' lives. And the parents are desperate, which is why they're here yet again campaigning to say this is wrong.
0: Is this partly because the Conservative government is worried that if they allow this kind of cannabis? treatment and this this drug does include some part of the hallucinatory element I are they worried time, that this time. is a trojan horse to to to, to legalize well, cannabis
2: well, well if that was the fear we wouldn't have deregulated and the conservative government deregulated this to allow it to happen now it's bloody mindedness inside the so-called experts in the department
0: but can, of I, like, but can you get high on this drug no, in any can't. way you no,
2: can't you can't no you can't and it's a few drops on the tongue a couple of times today, that saves kids' lives.
0: Mike, you're you're a knight of the realm. You know Matt Hancock, the health secretary. Why, why can't you just tell Matt Hancock, look, please
2: act and give these children this drug for for free? And we have, and we've met with Matt. That literally a year ago, the parents met with him. He promised he would do everything about it. And it's the clinicians, because it's the clinicians that decide whether it's happened. It's not politicians that decide. We could campaign for what we think is right and wrong, but actually it's the clinicians, people that we respect, doctors are saying, no, it can't be free on the NHS. While others, if you pay for it, there's something seriously wrong. We have an NHS, it's designed to be free at the point of delivery, to stop suffering and save children's lives. And it's not doing it what it says on the tin, and it seems barbaric almost that this is going on.
1: This decision by the NHS is to me unfathomable. I mean, we're not just talking about a handful of children, a tiny number of children, but even if it's two thousand pounds a month, Simon, that's twenty four k a year, and. That is not a lot of money in terms of medical treatment for seriously ill children. And if you look at other drugs, and I've got no objection to this being uh, made available on the NHS, but the PrEP drug, which is available for, uh, for gay men, which is a preventative drug, so that they will not catch various diseases and it's a preventative it's not even once they've caught the disease and yet we agree to that and that's 80 to a hundred thousand pounds a year and that's for a lot of people it's just unfathomable and i do wonder if it's the thing that you spoke about there that maybe it's just that they spook at the very word cannabis and legalizing it
0: Mm, well i i think maybe it is actually for some tories i I think that is the problem but i think that um having won an election when he promised to honor the nhs uh, and matt hancock according to mike penning said that you know he'd try and do something i really think this is something they're going to have to budge on somehow are they going to have to because i mean it's it's a threat the cost of a few consultants mercedes each year isn't it and i think they've got to pull their finger out and do something
1: and it will be the mums i think that will make a difference here there was one on um, on the bbc radio this morning It was actually quite heartbreaking to hear what she's going through. And, you know, you forget when these children who have this terrible epilepsy, they have what they call drops. You know, the child can be perfectly normal, and the next minute they're on the ground. And so, Simon, what's your topical tune for this week? well
0: in the week when
1: we've been discussing
0: the climate change crisis i've gone for five years by the late great david bowie um it was bowie's vision of the kind of the end of the world written way back in 1970 and when i was 16 in 1970 I was going to a concert and the bus broke down or something so we went to another concert where there was this guy we'd never heard of called David Bowie and he played Is that true? Yeah, that is true and Are you wearing one of those ghastly yellow shirts you used to wear all the time? I'm not going into my fashion faux pas um, and <laughs> It's the,
1: only a half hour show
0: This is a kind of Bowie's own apocalyptic vision pushing through the market square so many mothers sighing news had just come over we had five years left to cry.
1: News had just come over. We had five years left to cry. News guy wept and told us, was really dying. Cried so much, his face was wet.
0: Well, that's all we've got time for this week. Don't forget, you'll be able to listen back to this and all our other Mail Plus radio podcasts at mailplus.co.uk or via Spotify and Apple Podcasts.
1: Join us next week for more political chat. But for now, that's all from me, Simon Walters. And from me, Amanda Platell. Goodbye. Goodbye.